Podcast episode 291. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, we're talking about one of my new favorite things. That's right, it's CityCast Denver. And on this week's show, I've got their newsletter editor, Peyton Garcia. Now, it's a small team there. There's four folks. There's Paul Caroli. He's been on this show. Also, fellow Best of Denver podcast winner, twice now, because he produces the one for CityCast. He also won it for Changing Denver as well as Bree Davies, host of CityCast Denver, who I spoke to when she was doing a billion other things, and she probably is still. I could probably talk to her a month of Sundays just about the history of Denver. Additionally, they also have Xandra McMahon, who I have not had the pleasure of meeting, but is on my radar. No, I've got Peyton Garcia, and this is an incredible chat because we're talking about so much of my favorite things. We're talking about the city of Denver. We talk about our work in student media. We talk about the importance of hyper-local journalism. That is the best journalism. It's a lot like kind of a Republican theory of government, which is a weird way of framing this. But the best form of journalism is that which is closest to the people. We talk about journalists being classified as the enemy of the people and how you overcome that. We also talk about competition because news organizations are frequently geared toward making money. And so in this environment, where local journalism has eroded so much and you've got the vultures at places like Alden Capital hollowing out the Denver Post. What's the view of competition? Is it cutthroat or is it more collaborative? And in probably the best part of this episode, that stuff is all great. Peyton is intelligent, insightful, very hardworking, and puts together a great product. But the best part of this is probably her story about the beginning of the pandemic. It's insane. I promise you that. It happens right near the end of this episode. It's how we conclude it right before we do all the plugs. But seriously, it's worth it. There's so much in here that I love that I care about. Makes the conversation tremendous, especially when you have someone as delightful as Peyton. But seriously, that story. Wow. I'm going to think about that anytime I think about this pandemic now. That's the kind of story it is. Now, I mentioned that comes right before plugs. I just have one correction to make. Peyton transposed the web address, so when you hear her say it, it's not actually that, it's this. Go to denver.citycast.fm. That's where you should go to hear the podcast, to sign up for the newsletter. I promise, get it in your inbox. It's a great digest of the news. It's one of the things I look forward to most in the morning. So denver.citycast.fm. You can find that in the show notes, whether you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Also at the John of All Trades homepage. That's johnofalltrades.us. J-O-N of all trades dot U-S. And hey, if you're thinking about those podcatchers, if you're looking at them, if you're on them, hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes come directly to you. And as long as you're there, do me a favor. Do me a solid. Give me a fist bump, but do it virtually. Leave us a rating. Hopefully it's five stars. Leave us a review. Anything you can do. To spread the word about the John of All Trades podcast, those are two very easy ways. The algorithm that works on these platforms notices stuff like that. How? I don't know, but it does. Everyone's in the promotions business, whether they know it or not. I'm happy to promote CityCast Denver. I hope you sign up for them. Help me by taking a couple of seconds and leave us a rating and type out a quick review. Now, that's my only plug for the front end. Really want to get to this week's episode. I've got Peyton Garcia, the newsletter editor for CityCast Denver. She is episode 291. She's got an insane beginning of the pandemic story, and her episode starts right now. It is a little bit tricky, especially when late afternoon news comes out. So I just try and stay on top of that and try and get that stuff in. But yeah, it's, it is tough to send something out at, you know, 5am, 6am <laughs> yeah. and uh, hope that you've covered everything. But yeah, typically I'm doing, I'm doing the newsletter the day before. Okay. So like from when to when, when, when do you kind of get going on it and when do you usually put it to bed? Um, so I get started reading the news around like eight 30. Um, and really the, the first part of my day, the first half of my day is reading the news and picking stuff out that I think 
you know, will will be good in tomorrow's newsletter and just really finding those nooks and crannies of stories that haven't quite exploded yet, but that are going to. And then, you know, I try to end my work day like at a normal time. So at like five o'clock, typically that's when I'm wrapping it up. And when, when there is stuff that comes out really late at night, it's kind of just a judgment call. If, if it's really critical, there have been nights where then I'm, I'm adding stuff, you know, late at night, you know, six, seven, eight. Um, But most of the time I find that that's information that can, that can wait until the next morning to kind of dive, be dived into. So, I mean, my hours are still pretty normal. They're, they're relatively, you know, nine to five. That's got to be nice as a journalist because that's not always the case. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, it really is. Previously, just, you know, being a reporter, I'm used to having to be on all the time and, and go to things no matter what time of day it is. Sure, so yeah. this definitely brings more um, of a, yeah, having that traditional nine to five is not something that's always been available in this career. No, so. 100%. So this is Peyton Garcia. She is the newsletter at one of my favorite things that has emerged in, I don't know, the last couple of months. How long have you been at it now? Jeez, we've been at it. I think I, I'm actually keeping track of the number where I am writing newsletter number 38. So. Okay. Comes out every weekday. We're talking about CityCast Denver. And if you're not signed up for it, you should definitely do that. You can go to denver.citycast.fm to check it out. And I love it because you have a really fun, conversational, and easily digestible writing style where it's clear that you have combed through a lot of news because part of my job is I have to go through the news every day. You seem to do a really good job and, and have a sense for how to high grade this stuff. And so I'm curious about, first of all, how you came to get involved with CityCast, because I know Paul Caroli. And when he left House of Pod, Paul and I, like we met because we both won Westward Awards in 2017. When he left House of Pod, he, he wasn't allowed to say where he was going. But then I found out, I go, that is really cool. And that's perfect. Then you brought on Bree, who's also a previous uh, guest on this show. And she's the host of the daily podcast. How did you come to get involved? I just found it. And and we kind of joke about um, that hiring process because I, I found it, I think, on just one of those websites. I, th- I want to say it was um, Andrew Hudson's like job listing. Oh, sure. Yeah. That, which, so by the way, if, if you're not from Denver, you don't know how valuable it is like to have <laughs> Andrew Hudson's jobs list because it's phenomenal. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's actually where I found it. And um, I was looking, you know, all over the place. I was considering a lot of different jobs and um, their posting was kind of vague. It was like, it was very, it was very casual, and very vague. It was like, hey, we're a group of people who are going to start a podcast. Does that sound cool? <laughs> if it sounds cool, you should write us. And so I was just like, oh, what the hell? Like, I'll do it. So I just wrote in and I was like, hey, I think, um, cause they said a podcast in a daily newsletter. And I was like, hey, I, I think that does sound cool. Here's, here's a little bit about me. And, um, I really didn't know if it was going to go anywhere. Cause it was kind of an unorthodox application <laughs> right. process. They, they like didn't really ask for a ton. They just kind of asked you to just talk about yourself and what, you know, what you know and love about Denver. And so I just did that. And I actually think it's a really cool way for them to find people who are just organically enthusiastic about the city. And so I did that. And then I I heard back and there was, you know, a couple steps in the application process. And I think culture for for us at CityCast is a really big thing. So just a series of phone calls, seeing how I would fit in. And uh, it was just kind of a match naturally. Good. Did you did you hit it off with the folks uh, running this like pretty quickly? Yeah, I would say so. Um, Paul was one of, he was the very first person that I was interacting with. And um, I remember getting off of those first initial phone calls with him and um, telling my fiance, like, ah, this, this feels right. You know, you yeah. just, you, you have those interviews and I was interviewing, you know, for a handful of different things. And sometimes it's just, mm, yeah, you're, you know, you're, you're kind but, of sketchy about it. You're a little lukewarm. You're like, eh, that could work, but I'm not like thrilled about it. And then there's ones yeah. where you're like, yes. Okay. Like we vibed yeah. and this works. Yeah. I, I was, I was excited, especially because it was kind of such a vague posting and I wasn't totally sure what it was all about. Um, after the conversation with Paul, we just, I think it was funny because the, the phone call, our first phone call was only supposed to be 30 minutes, but we ended up talking for like an hour just because I was like, oh, and I have this idea and this idea, and I think this would be cool. So um, it was one of those ones where I got off, but I was like, yeah, this is cool. I think he likes me. I'm, I'm really digging him. Uh, so yeah, it was just kind of a natural fit. 
That's phenomenal. How quickly were you all able to get in a good working rhythm between you and Paul and Bree? And I think I'm missing one other team member that you have. Yeah, um, that's Xandra McMahon. I, and my sincere apologies for neglecting. But how quickly did you all get in a good rhythm? And what is it like working with these folks? Yeah, actually, that's um, it's something that I've, I've said over and over again to Paul and the rest of the team. Um and that kind of goes back to the to the interview process and the application process that I was just talking about. I think at least the way that Paul coordinated this, he was looking for people that he could drive with that he thought would make a good team base. And I think that the four of us working together, we have such a great team dynamic. I think that that is that is at the heart of what CityCast has become so far. Um, I think that our product is a direct reflection of how well we all work together. So we just all work so well. It's It's been great. It has been weird because we have not been able to meet in person. Oh, geez, really? Um, <laughs> yeah, we're actually planning something, I think, like next week now that, you know, the vaccines are out and everyone's feeling a little bit more comfortable, but yeah. we actually haven't met in person. But even so just on on Zoom, we just have a very natural we click together really well. So I, I would say that that is a huge part of our of our success so far. At, absolutely. And one of the things that is right at the top of the CityCast newsletter is vaccination statistics. And so I'm curious, like, have you been able to secure yours? How, how are you feeling about it? Like, how are things looking? Yeah, um, they're they're good. I I actually just got my second dose um, last week, I think. Okay, how'd you feel? Uh, you know, uh, it actually hit me kind of hard. So my my fiance he got Pfizer and I got Moderna, and um, I I I had some aches pretty immediately after my first dose. So I was really nervous. Sure the second dose because people were saying, oh, you don't feel anything. And so then I was like, well, I felt crappy. So what's that mean for the second dose? So as soon as I got my second dose, I just like loaded up on Tylenol and water. And um, I was pretty much able to to mask the aches with a lot of Tylenol, but I'm, I'm feeling great now. I'm, I'm happy that it's, it's done. Um, I just want things to go back to normal. Sure. Well, as do I. And which is one of the reasons I always talk about it on my show too, is because I want to be like, look, this isn't scary. This is a thing that can really be useful in getting us all back to normal, which is where we all want to be. So mm-hmm. whenever I can, I try and talk it up and, and be an advocate in that way because I believe in it and I, I think it matters. I've even done shows about it. So uh, yeah. the, the fact that you all put it right up top too is one that it's something that I really like because it's a public service. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I've uh, I've heard you a few times on the podcast itself, and you sound like you're pretty comfortable doing that. I don't know what your I've read a little bit about your background in journalism. I don't know your background in podcasting. Um, do you have experience in audio or things like that? No, I don't. So I am a big podcast listener. Um, I, I love to listen to podcasts. I jumped on that bandwagon back when like Serial came out. Oh, sure, yeah. um, that, that was a big then, one like, for people. It was, and and music has basically been non-existent in my life ever since. I, I still <laughs> listen to podcasts, um, and I'll just say it up front: uh, it's all oh, I love true crime. I love true crime podcasts, so that's a lot of what I listen to. Are you a murderino? Uh, I'm not. I have. I I've been recommended that one a handful of times. I just I don't I just can't really get into it. Um, I'm a crime junkie. Okay. Fan. So, so it's it's just it's not your particular flavor. Yes, exactly, because there's so many out there. Yeah, um, yeah. So Crime Junkie is is my go-to. But no, I aside from listening to podcasts, I have zero experience in audio, but that was something that really drew me to this position is I'm very interested in getting involved with that and um they made it clear CityCast and Paul they made it clear from the beginning that if that's something I'm interested in, that's definitely something I can dabble in. And it's been really cool. I, you can see here, I've got like my little oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> but when I got it, I had to like get on the phone with Paul and he had to spend like 15 <laughs> minutes trying to walk me through the equipment and how to work garage band. And um, I'm very, very ambitious. I, I hope to continue to be on the show more and more. My first real long segment was I, I got on and I promoted Denver Restaurant Week. Um, That's the one I'm thinking I, of. That was top of my yeah. Opinion, yeah. Yeah, my background um, in journalism focuses pretty heavily on, in food editorial, so I'm a really big 
so I, I got on and, and talked about that and it was, I thought it would be, I'm glad you say I sound relatively natural because I thought it would be way easier than it was. Um, <laughs> once there's a microphone in front of you, it's just the, the stakes are higher. <laughs> People tend to freeze up. It's so funny because it's unnatural talking into a microphone in a, I would say more formal way and in a way that you're not necessarily used to. It's, it's just odd. I mean, I, so we're both Rams. We both went to CSU and I was at KCSU. And the first few times you're there, you're going, I'm alone in this room by myself talking to presumably dozens, maybe hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. And I can't wrap my head around it because I'm just in this dark, tiny room. Yeah. And once you kind of get over that, so it's like people will get nervous when I talk to them on this show. And it's always interesting to me because it's like, look, it's just us having a conversation. And I try and put people at ease that way, but it, it doesn't always work. And so to hear you say that, that is something that's very, very familiar to me as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's weird that just like going into it, I was like, oh, that'll be easy. I'm so excited. I'll just, you know, talk about food. I can talk about food. Yeah, you can talk and about the I, restaurant Linger, right? Because you love it. Right. Yeah. And and then they're like, okay, you hook yourself up. And Bree starts asking me the questions. And I was like, <laughs> I, this is, this is scary. And Paul was like, okay, Peyton, let's try and get you off script. Like, let's just talk. Like, don't read from the script. And I, I totally froze up. And I actually was like, I, I can't do this. I need the script. This is so hard. Um, so kudos to podcasters, to you, to, to Brie, um, especially cause I, you know, I listen to her every day and I, I, I get to see pieces of their production process and y'all make it look easy. It is, um, it's really intimidating, but I'm hoping the more and more I do it, the more comfortable I'll get behind the microphone. Oh yeah, absolutely. And once you sort of have a level of comfort with it, I have this meowing jackass down here trying to get my attention. <laughs> I mean, you know, you never know when you're recording something, but, uh, I don't even remember what I was saying, but, um, what I was going to ask you was your love for Denver is really clear. It comes across in this really easygoing writing style, but like you, you cover the issues in the depth that they sort of deserve and the gravity that they deserve. But there's, there's almost kind of a playfulness when it comes to the feel of city cast, which I really like. So I'm curious, as I said, your love of Denver comes across. Did you grow up around here? I grew up in Golden. Uh, my wife grew up in Castle Rock. Is this, uh, is this your native hood? It is. This is my hood. Um, I was born in St. Joe's uh, in Denver. Oh, nice. and... I was born in Lutheran out in Wheat Ridge. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in and around the area, never left. I moved around a lot just in the Adams County area, Westminster, Thornton, Henderson, Brighton. And then now I'm living out near Boulder County. I'm in Louisville. Oh, nice. Uh, and my fiance, he's from Boulder. So we're both um, Denver natives or Colorado natives. Sure. And, yeah, I have a lot of a lot of Denver pride, which is um, pretty crucial to the job when you're reading and talking about it every day. Well, and being able to contextualize things properly, too, in ways that like I, I'm not a person who advocates for like the native bumper sticker or anything like that. I think that's lame. This sort of weird, almost like classist kind of assertion that, Hey, I was here first. Like, shut up. Okay. Our, our town could right. be going in the other direction, but I will say if you've been around long enough, you've seen this town evolve a lot um, over mm -hmm. your time here. And do people kind of lean on you for that? Because I know Bree is a native. Paul is a transplant, but has that context been helpful for you in creating this project or this product? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, first Brie is a, she's more than just like a super Denver person. Oh, she's she encyclopedic. That's exactly what I was going to say. She's a walking encyclopedia. Anytime I have a question about something, I'm like, Oh, Hey Brie, have you heard of this? And she can start naming, um, council <laughs> members and districts. And Oh, back in 2000, they had this one. And I'm just like, wow, you're, that's crazy. She, she's the perfect person for this, right. um, to be hosting this show. But we did have a lot of conversations at the very beginning about the transplant versus native discussion here in Denver, because I totally agree with you. Um, as somebody who was born and raised in Denver, I just don't like kind of the negative energy that circles that that conversation. Um, and we don't want people to feel that way. So it was a balance that we have intentionally struck. We, we want Denver natives to feel like they can really resonate with the things that we're saying. But we also want to be 
something that new Denverites can lean on um, in terms of getting to know their community. And that's something that we've been really, really intentional about. And because there's three of us, three out of the four of us are, were born and raised here. And then Paul's a transplant. Um, It's, it's, yeah, it's been really helpful, but we've been, we've been super intentional in the way that we convey that because all four of us are just very much like, this is not like a, only for people who are from Denver kind of podcast. Yeah. This is for anybody who loves Denver, whether you're brand new or you're not. And I feel like we have so far successfully done a good job at that because we have had some new Denverites reach out to us and say, this has been such a great way to get to know my community, um, especially when everything's been so, you know, isolated. So yeah, something that we put a lot of consideration into. That's a tough needle to thread, like to do Mm -hmm. that well and to do that in a way that, you know, new people can go, yes, I'm getting a lot out of this. And, you know, you're not kind of dick and janing it for people who have been here for a long time. That's, that's tough. I mean, and my hat's off to you. I mentioned that we're both Rams and you worked at the Collegian. Mm -hmm. Uh, I worked at KCSU. Um, It's been, I mean, you, you haven't been there in a while, but how was the scene when you were there, what, what was the appetite for journalism? Because journalism is going through a tough moment, I would say, for, on a number of fronts. Because from the erosion of classified advertising to making things more diffuse to the echo chamber of social media, I'm, I'm curious, when you started studying journalism, what was your impetus for that? And then secondly, how did you find it going through it and then becoming a professional? So first, I've I've always said that I think CSU had had a fabulous journalism program. Um, I agree. I don't think that this is a career that I could have just jumped into. I think everything that I learned at CSU has 100% led me to where I am. I don't think that I could have made a successful career without the knowledge that I gained there. So I think that they had a stellar journalism program with wonderful professors who who really knew what they were doing. In terms of when I got involved with journalism, I actually think that this is something that a lot of journalists go through. It's you get to college and you're like, okay, what am I good at? And you're like, okay, I can write. What do I do? How do I make that a sustainable thing to do in my life? Um, and you're like, yeah, let's try journalism. Sure. Um, so I, I, it's one of those things that you just kind of stumble into when you feel like you're, you're a half decent writer. Um, <laughs> so really that's kind of how it started. And I tried out the collegian, uh, my freshman year because I was like, all right, I'm going to try this out. This will be a good way to test. Like, do I hate this or do I love this? And then sure enough, like this, the, the very first time I saw my byline in the paper, I was like, I can remember that moment so vividly. I was, I was hooked. I was yeah. hooked. I was like, this is incredible. And this is what I'm doing. Totally. Uh, very similar story for me. <clears throat> when I went to CSU, I was a business major to start, hated my business classes, but took public speaking. And all of a sudden I could get up there and just like hold court, essentially hold forth for however long the assignment was and talk about anything that I was passionate about. And I remember looking in the course catalog. I'm like, I can't believe you can major in this. Like this is insane. And so at the radio, when you're down at student media, most people are either uh, JT majors as you were or SP majors as I was. Mm -hmm. And so like there was a lot of kind of synchronicity between those two programs. And I think they're both exceptional as well as, the student media down at CSU, was it pretty robust when you were there? Because I know when I started, the the radio station had like a 100 kids show up on our KCSU 101 night. And mm. in later years, it wasn't quite as popular because, you know, no one really cared about radio as much as they used to. So I'm curious what the scene was like while you were there. Yeah, it was, um, I would say just, and I haven't been to the campus in a while, especially not the the media labs or anything like that, but... I still follow the Collegian um, on social media and, and I check in there every once in a while. And it, it actually seems like it's really exploded since Great. the last Great. time I was there. And I don't know if that's um, a difference between if that's the difference between audio and print. But I actually felt like in terms of like being part of the Collegian, it was a really small team. And I actually don't feel like it was all that robust while I was there. I I feel like they have really polished up what they're doing since I've left. I I feel like the quality of stories that they're putting out and the quantity of stories that they're putting out is much more than what we were putting out when I was there. 
So I, w- I would say it was pretty small. I, I feel like just in terms of the, the, the programs that CSU offered, that didn't feel small, but um, the collegian did. Sure. No, I, I think that makes good sense. And one of the advantages to that, though, is that gives you a lot of fertile ground to learn and pursue and do what you want. If, if there's a small staff, you can almost write your own ticket that way, which is great. Oh, you're, absolutely. You're, you're not, you know, elbowing everyone out for, you know, real estate, but you're going, what do I want to do? How do I want to do this? I seem to have the bandwidth to do it. Was that the case for you? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. That's awesome. Well, student media is one thing. And then you transition into professional as you start seeking jobs. And as a journalist, man, the hustle involved in that is remarkable. Can you take me through what it was like transitioning from college to being a professional? Because from what I know of journalism right now, man, it's hard. And a lot of times you're fighting for scraps. Yeah, no, absolutely you are. Um, I I got out and I, I was applying to everything. And I did... Um, eventually land an unpaid social media internship with 303. And of course, you're two months out of college and you're like, oh, I got a real job. And it's like, it's not paying me. But <laughs> I I knew that it was going to be hard leaving college. They tell you that. The professors are real. They're like, listen, y'all are going to get eaten alive out there. It's not an easy field. It's not easy to find what you want. You know, they're like 60% of you are not going to actually have a career in journalism and so I was prepared. So I, I came out the gates, like just ready, just applying for every little thing that I could to try and get my foot in the door. So I did get in with 303, which was really awesome. And I, I pestered the editor over there, Brittany Worges. I just pestered her and followed her around until I was like, can I write stuff? Can I write stuff? Can I write stuff? <laughs> and finally it was like one day at like seven o'clock. She's like, Hey, I need someone to cover this um, bar that's opening. Can you do it? And I'm like, in my car, on my way. <laughs> like, so, which is, which is absolutely how you have to do it in this yeah. field. And then, so I did that and I wasn't getting paid, but it was fun and I was getting bylines. And then the Denver Post, I ended up sending, I ended up, I wrote to any Denver Post email I could find. And I was like, hi, my name's Peyton. I'm really, really interested in here's my credentials, blah, blah, blah. I applied for the actual position because I was hired on as a community reporter there. I applied for that position twice. Yeah. And then I actually had my, my boyfriend, my boyfriend, he had a friend who had a girlfriend who knew someone at the post. And I was yeah. like, cool, tell her to tell him, <laughs> to tell that person um, to look me up. And I don't know if that is what got me hired. I'd like to believe that um, just that tenacity is is what got me noticed but i i annoyed them until i got in and it was great so it is it is a lot of hustling you have to be willing to just drop things you have to be willing to put in work without pay it's it's tough but that's what it is it's competitive it it absolutely is your story reminds me of when i thought i wanted to work for the colorado rockies and <laughs> i found someone who worked there you know contact of a contact of a contact whatever and I would drive down there and drop off a new cover letter and a physical resume a week, just like to their front office. I'm like, can you give this to so, I don't want to say his name, but like, can you give this to so-and-so? And yeah. finally he just called me. I think I wore him down. Like, he's like, I got to get this guy to stop dropping me resumes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like I, I interviewed, they offered me a job, which ironically enough, I turned down, but like I totally relate to your story because by that by the time that actually happened, I was on to something else. You know, right. like you never have just one iron in the fire at any one time. Mm-hmm. Um but did I read right when you were at the Denver Post, were you doing like your hub stuff? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I loved your hub because yeah. like occasionally I would submit to your hub and chances were good that it would get published. Like if yeah. if you can write well, it's a good way to get a byline. Like there, totally. what, how, yeah. how was your experience with your hub? Your hub was really great. Um, I loved what we did and it, it was unfortunately one of the first things that they oh, yeah. felt needed to be downsized when they were going through all of the layoffs and stuff. But are you talking about like, are you talking about Alden capital? What, like once, yes. okay. Yes. yes. Once they bought mm-hmm. it and they sort of hollowed it out. Yeah. And that was, that was a whole thing. Um, and your hub was one of the first ones to go, but we had a very loyal base of readers uh, the people who did read are, cause it was, they were, um, smaller, super local, 
like mini newspapers that went out for anyone who doesn't know what your hub was. Right. Um, and our, our readers loved what we did. And it actually reminds me a lot of what we do at CityCast just in terms of keeping it super, super local um, and writing about stuff that people actually care about. Um, and there was a lot of community engagement. Like you said, we had people from the community, most of the paper. I mean, we had stuff that was generated by us. Obviously, the lead stories were, but most of the paper was stuff that was contributed to us from the community. So it was it was really, really cool. And it gave me um, a very strong appreciation for like hyper local journalism, which people love and is unfortunately just um, it has a history of being really hard to fund and, and it's hard for it to remain viable. But that's what people like. So it's just so critical that we do focus on like keeping journalism super local no i agree with you 100 percent. and so i have two things to say about that one is you know we get like i live in mayfair and so we have our little tiny one the mayfair mirror i think it's called and so you know occasionally not occasionally but in every edition we'll get like an update from our city council person and like our state senator and like sometimes the attorney general will write something because she used to represent this area but I also get like like the Stapleton fr- or I guess Central Park front porch now. And so you're right. I love those because that's great. This is my community. This is my hood. And then secondly, it reminds me of something I just saw, which is the Colorado Sun buying Colorado mm-hmm. Community News, which I thought was great because I know Jerry Healy a little bit, like very, mm-hmm. very briefly, but tiny little papers like the Golden Transcript or the Lakewood Sentinel or the Westminster Window. Um, I always love talking to those reporters if I had a story because sometimes I'm pitching media. Those were always the best reporters to talk to because it's like, oh, this is happening in our town. Yes, let's talk about it. Let's do it. And so you build really strong community connections that yeah. way. Yeah. No, that was that was totally the case at your hub, too. So we all had um, areas that we specialized in, and I specialized in Arvada. And I was I really became a part of that community. Um, the, it was just such a neat thing that the the residents and the city council members and the business owners like they knew to come to me they had a direct relationship with me and it's such an amazing way to get stories incredible stories um when you have the community that they really trust you and they really believe in the work that you're doing to have them come to you like that it was it was a very cool experience that you're absolutely right and so that's why i get so frustrated and one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you because i think citycast does a great job of really capturing denver and the metro area when I hear, for instance, our former president calling journalists the enemy of the people, I go, dude, what are you talking about? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we can have a conversation about cable TV news if you want, and I think that's got a whole host of problems. But if you're talking right. about actual journalism, where the rubber meets the road is as local as you can get, and what you just articulated is a really clear – it stands in very stark contrast to that narrative. Mm-hmm. because you are part of the community and you're going to tell the story with, with fidelity, with integrity and tell it in a way that resonates with people. And so I don't know, I, I don't think there's a question in there, but I'd welcome any reaction you have. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I think just like we, you know, just like I, I just shared, I, it, it's, it's so tough when I mean the, the media is battling that narrative that's being put out at a really high level. Um, And there was a time where I really, I hated saying the word media when people asked what I did. I didn't like saying journalists and I didn't like saying media because it, it had such a negative connotation, but that's not, that's not what it is. And it's just, I was really, I was really stoked to see what the Colorado Sun is doing. Um, and, you know, that paper was started by all of those people who left the post for that reason, the reason that we just talked about, they left that to start the Sun. And now I think what they, you know, in, in buying all of these local papers, they're just making true on, on a promise that they made from the beginning. So I wish them the best in that. 100%. Do you view those other outlets? I mean, we talked about the Colorado Sun. There's Denverite, which I think is also doing really cool work. You're linking to a lot of those pieces when you're compiling this newsletter. How do you view them? Do you view them as competition? Are they just fellow outlets? I, I'm curious on on how you kind of view that or how CityCast broadly views that. Yeah, no, definitely um, 
more of a collaborative spirit for sure. You know, we've uh, interviewed or we we've interviewed quite a handful of CPR reporters, um, Denverite. I mean, they do great stuff and, and Denver Post, I still find them to be an extremely trustworthy and reliable source. Um, so no, definitely an era of collaboration, even with Axios. So Axios Denver came out there. They put out their morning newsletter like two weeks before we were scheduled to launch ours. And at first I was like, ah, damn it. Like, <laughs> come on, you know, to the punch. But the way that they cover the city is very different than the way we cover it. And I've, I've found myself linking, um, to stuff that, to stuff that they've published as well, because I just think that really at the base of it, we're all here for the same, we're all trying to do the same thing. And, and, and really it goes back to changing that narrative, right? That the media is the enemy and we're all just trying to do the same thing. And my goal with the newsletter is to be the place that you can go to find the most trusted sources on the most important stories. So I, I do have favorites, which tend to be the Colorado Sun and the Denver Post and Denverite, um, because I think that they do great work. And I want my readers to be like, oh, I hear people, you know, the rumor mill is saying this, Payton shared this in the newsletter. Like, I want people to feel like they can trust me because I'm doing the work for you. I'm reading through all of these stories and I'm picking the outlets that I think are best representing this topic. And then I'm compiling it for you so that you can just wake up and feel informed. <laughs> there you go. It's so nice to hear you say that because, I mean, I think that's the the path to survival for local news. It, if if you're being cutthroat in local news at this point, that's a fool's errand mm-hmm. um, to me. And so hearing you say that is just refreshing. And we need good info out there. I mean, it matters to an extent who is doing it. You know, I want a rising tide to lift many boats here, but by the same token, it's like, let's just get the best story out there, which is what I hear you saying, which is mm-hmm. terrific. A question for you. You mentioned that you all are getting together for the first time <laughs> soonish. Now, now that you're all vaccinated, how has it been doing journalism in pandemic times? Because I imagine the the hurdles to that have got to be fairly high or, or are I, they less I, so now that we're all better at Zoom meetings and stuff? I think, yeah, I think by the time we launched CityCast, people had about a year of Zoom meetings under their belt, which <laughs> was super helpful. Um, I personally haven't felt like there was a ton of roadblocks except for maybe technology which sometimes gets in the way um in in some ways it's almost easier because i can i can make all of these calls and interviews and stuff without having to like do the drive (laughs) and i can just i can pack my day chock full of interviews without having to leave my house you know so i personally haven't really felt like i've i've faced all that many hurdles just because it's really no different than doing phone interviews, except that it's a little bit easier now with Zoom. But that being said, for the majority of the pandemic, I wasn't actually, I wasn't working. I wasn't doing like traditional on the pounding the pavement journalism. So I I don't really feel like I actually had that much experience um, practicing while this was all happening. Gotcha. Although I will say, I saw on your website, there's a link to a CNN story yeah. Uh, um, about you at the beginning of the pandemic. And I think I would be remiss, and I think Paul would be upset with me if we didn't <laughs> capture this here. But um, I'm curious, can you share the story of the early days of the pandemic and where you were, how it unfolded, and how you ultimately got back? Yes, I do. It goes back a few years. So my fiance and I, we had been planning for like six years on eventually quitting our jobs and doing a year of travel. We're like, let's, let's save up a ton of money. Let's plan this big itinerary. And then when the time is right, we'll quit our jobs for a year and we'll travel the world and we'll come back. God, that sounds cool. Yeah. And then we're like, once we're back, we'll get married and we'll um, reestablish ourselves in our careers. And it was, it was a whole five-year plan. Like we wanted to get established enough in our careers that we were going to be able to quit for a year and come back. So anyways, we, in, in November, 2019, we decided to go ahead and pull that trigger. Oh no. Yeah. We had saved up a ton of money. Um, we planned everything. We moved out of the condo that we owned, um, leased it out and we quit our jobs. (laughs) 
And we left in December of 2019. We traveled through South America for four months. Um, we had a ton of countries. We were just backpacking through. The plan was to do South America, jump over to Australia and New Zealand, and then do Southeast Asia. And we were going to be gone for a full year. That sounds, so, I just have to stop you real quick. That sounds like an absolutely stunning trip. Yeah. Um, and just positively amazing. But I, oh boy, I, uh, I know where the sort of Damocles is going to drop here, <laughs> um, yeah. just based on the timeline, but keep going. So we, yeah, we were, we were stoked. Everyone was so happy for us. Um, so we, yeah, we left in December. We got through um, Costa Rica, Panama, Colombia, Ecuador, and then we made it to Peru. And we'd gone all the way through Peru. We were down at the south end. And then um, we left on a five-day trek to Machu Picchu. So now, pause there. At this point, it's March. And we are, we're hearing about the coronavirus. We're hearing about it in China. It's just starting to make news waves in the U.S., but we're talking to our family. Our family's not worried about it. There's no reported cases in South America. So we're thinking, hey, we locked out. Like we're not, we're, we're running away from the pandemic or from the, from the virus. So this is great. So we leave and, um, it's mid-March and we go on a five-day trek to Machu Picchu where we're completely out of service. And when we get back from Machu Picchu, our phones are like blowing up and our family is like, oh my gosh, there's no toilet paper and we're not allowed to leave our house and baseball's been canceled or, you know, yeah. so we're like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. Um, so we go back to our, our hostel and we're, we're like, okay, well, we, we have no, there's no rush. There's no real end to our plan. There's a lot of people at the hostel who are like, oh my gosh, like, this is crazy. I need to go home. And we're like, whatever. We'll just like, we'll head into Chile. Well, at midnight that night. So after we've, we've come back and we, we got the updates from our family and we're like, okay, well, we're just going to book our train ticket into Chile. Midnight that night, the president um, <clears throat> of Peru gets on and he's like, yeah, we're shutting down our borders. You can't leave. Um, and then of course, Trump shut down the U.S.'s borders, you can't leave. So then we're like, oh, shoot. So we're stuck in this hostel. And we're at first, we're like, no big deal. Like, we'll just hang out here for a few weeks. And then we actually, our hostel has one of the first outbreaks of coronavirus oh, in the area. So then there's an outbreak in our hostel and they're not letting us leave the hostel. So they're like, you guys are, you guys are stuck here. You're stuck inside. They had military come guard the door you can't leave. No one goes in and out. If you try and leave, you're going to be arrested. Jeez. So then we're talking to our hostel manager and he's like, yeah, we're like, how long are we going to be stuck here? And he's like, we're looking at maybe four months of being oh. stuck here. And we're, we're like, what? And, and it was, it was tough. It was scary. I mean, because Peru, they, they had two ventilators in the entire country. Like they did not have, right. Resource. We weren't at first, we weren't afraid, but then we're like, if something really bad happens, we don't know much about this virus. If something really bad happens, like, are we in a place where we're going to get the help that we need? And the hostel, like they were super overwhelmed. They did not have the resources to be taking care of the people that were stuck there. They didn't have food to be giving us. They, they didn't have any of that stuff. And we had no idea when we were going to come home. Um, no one was telling us anything. We were reaching out to our Congress members here in Colorado. We were reaching out to anyone we could to try and get us out. And we worked a lot with Jonah Goose and um, Bennett and they, they actually were really helpful in trying to get us out. But anyway, so we, we were stuck. We had, and the, the frustrating thing was we had no idea when we were going to, there was just no communication. We had no idea when we were coming back, um, which is when CNN like reached out and they were like, Hey, we heard you're stuck in Peru um, tell us your story. That's Jeez. where we spent the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> so how did you get out? Like, and how long did it take? Yeah. So we ended up being stuck in that hostel for a little over three weeks. They moved us at one point to a hotel. They weren't really telling us anything. One night, the 
the the manager just comes up and he's like you guys need to pack your room you're you're getting moved and we're like to where and he was like we don't know and I'm like why and he's like we're not sure and I'm like who's moving us and he's like I don't have answers so you. so you're going through all the journalism questions at that point who <laughs> yeah. what why, why where yeah yeah so you've told me we, when <laughs> we packed up and we left and it was really such a chaotic scene. They, um, they had like the military out there and government out there. They were spray- hosing us all down with, um, chlorine. <laughs> what? And yeah, it's like uh, my pants that I was wearing. Like I had to throw away all of our stuff, like got hosed down and bleached with chlorine and they loaded us onto a bus and they took us to this new hotel and they were, which is like significantly smaller than the hostel we were just in. And at least at the hostel, we could like walk around the courtyard mm. here at this hotel. They're like, you can't leave your room. Oh, um, we'll send you, we'll send you two meals a day to your door. And then I just was like starting to have a full blown panic attack. The way we ended up getting out though, I think it was actually kind of a fluke. So when they moved us, I guess their government had been, their their health department had been under orders not to let anybody who had been at that hostel with the outbreak leave the country. They moved us because it was just getting out of hand. And so they moved half of that hostel to this new hotel. Well, there was some sort of lapse in information. We So we finally got the email that was like, you can catch a repatriation flight. Well, we had, we had actually, it was so frustrating. We'd gotten three repatriation flight emails and we couldn't go on any of them because the military wouldn't let us leave. So anyways, we finally got one and we tried again. We're like, hey, can we leave? And I think it was just someone who like didn't really know that we had come from that hostel. They were like, yeah, sure. So we went to the airport with like a couple other people from the hostel who were flying back here to the States. And um, we got through security. We got, we got in, we were like ready to board the plane. And then they stopped us and they're like, wait a minute, aren't you guys the ones <laughs> from that hostel? And we're like, we don't know what you're talking about. So then we had to sit at the airport for like three hours while our government talked to their government. And um, finally, they just had a bunch of doctors come in and check us out. And they're like, okay, you seem like you maybe don't have COVID. So I guess we'll send you home because you're already here. So it was kind of a fluke that we got out yeah. at all. Wow. Like, thank God, though, right? I mean, yeah. What you're describing at that airport, I I couldn't help but think about the movie Argo, where mm. you know where like they're they're trying to get out of Iran, and you know there's like hurdles right at the gate, but eventually when you got on that flight, man, how did that feel? Like it wasn't real. I was waiting any minute for somebody to come back. And no, but like, I mean, like once you're I, in the air, I I mean, I can't even describe it. I mean, we we were just like in tears with joy to be going home. It still, it still didn't feel real. I still thought at any minute they were like, they're going to land the plane and not let us leave. And um, it wasn't until we landed in Denver and we we left the airport and I was like, okay, I'm home. They can't take me away now. I, I'm then not going back to Peru. Back. Like they can't drag right. me back to Peru. Right. Yeah. Right. So like, that's kind of when the gravity of our situation kind of hit us and we're like, well, shit, that was like, a really intense situation. I think before that we were just literally going moment to moment, like trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to, you know, it was just, yeah, it was crazy. It was really insane. Unreal. Well, I, Paul was right. Paul did not uh, oversell this story because that was really something. And I'm, I'm happy that it worked out at least as well as it did all things considered. I mean, it, it could have been, much, much worse, I suppose. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we are definitely bummed that the trip had to get cut short. Um, I don't know that we'll find another chance in our life to put ourselves in a position to quit our jobs indefinitely. Um, But that's okay. We, We had a really good time while we were out there and now we've got a really crazy story that we'll forever retell um yeah so when our kids are in elementary school doing reports on the pandemic of 2020 we will have a really cool story to share with them yeah no joke i don't know that there are going to be many people who are able to top that one because i mean we landed march 11th uh in arizona um, but that was the day the NBA was canceled, and then that was the first domino, and then everything after that, one after another after another, and we go, oh, God, we have to get on a flight now. And then everyone's freaking yeah. out because all all of a sudden it's real, and we don't know anything. There's no mask mandate. There's no nothing. Yeah. And, you know, people are worried about service transmissions. Like, my my kids want to go play on the playground, but we're like, no, don't touch anything. Like, that's that's what they're saying is not – 
you know, not good. And so no one knows anything, and you're basically just sort of paralyzed by fear. I can't imagine what that was like in another country. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was intense, but um, we're back, and now we have a really cool story. That's right. Well, perfect. All right, I'll tell you what, Peyton. This is the part on the show when we do plugs. So. Uh, what I'd love for you to do is plug CityCast. Where can we find it? Plug your personal stuff. Anything you want to plug at all, please do it. Sure. Yeah. So I would encourage everybody to go to citycast.denver.fm. Um, that is where you can find links to all of our previous episodes of the podcast hosted by the incredible Bree Davies, who is a Denver encyclopedia and produced by Paul Caroli and Alexandra McMahon, who are absolutely talented and make me not sound like an idiot when I'm on. Um, and then of course, that's also where you can subscribe to my daily morning newsletter, which I would love. I promise I'm an awesome inbox buddy. I've got your back on all Denver news that you need to know in a really fun and digestible way. And then if you just want to know more about me professionally, um, you can go to PeytonGarciaMedia.com and find out a little bit more about my work there. I still um, freelance in food editorial when I can. Um, so you can see what I'm up to in terms of cocktails and restaurants in Denver at that location. Fantastic. And I will vouch for it. It is the thing I look forward <laughs> to reading most. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled when it shows up. The, the podcast is exceptional, as you'd expect from those two talents as well. And so this is just a thing I'm so happy that exists. And I'm thrilled to get to talk to you. I'm happy we met uh, virtually this first time. I cannot wait for our paths to cross again in real life sometime soon. Well, thanks, John. I'm so, so, so appreciative of your interest. And um, this was just really a, a great conversation. So it was really awesome getting to chat with you about journalism and, and the podcast and all of that. Well, Peyton Garcia, it was an absolute pleasure. I adored the conversation as well. And I wish you nothing but continued success. Thank you so much. It was it was really great. You really... Uh, you really got a cool thing going here, so I really appreciate it, John. And that'll do it for episode 291 of the John of All Trades podcast featuring Peyton Garcia, the newsletter editor for CityCast Denver. Seriously, get over there. Here's the web address again. This is the correct one, denver.citycast.fm. As I mentioned in the intro, that link is available in the show notes no matter what platform you're on, also on johnofalltrades.us. Get over there, get signed up, listen to some pods, get the newsletter. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communication, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I do all manner of traditional style PR, and I produce podcasts myself. In addition to this show, I have three others that I'm working on every single week that I'm proud to do. If you have an idea, hit me up. I'm happy to do it. The email is john at deftcom dot U-S, J-O-N at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. If you're building a website, doing online marketing, social media advertising, email inbox campaigns, no matter what it is, they can help you target the audience correctly, get the right message in front of them. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Stay with me on socials, J-O-A-T-Pod is the handle. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, Instagram. Episode previews go up on Monday. That's Facebook only. New episodes drop on Wednesday. I'm out of here for this week. This was a phenomenal episode. Please get your shot. Please get vaccinated. Let's all go back to normal. Let's ensure the safety of those who cannot get vaccinated. Take care of each other as much as we can. Until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.